0: We, uh, as a family, have had the opportunity over this past week to spend vacation at Keats Island. And I know many of you know Keats very well uh, because you were either at Keats camp as a child yourself or you've been involved in the ministry of White Rock Baptist to Keats, uh, you know, so all of those sorts of things. Our kids have been to Keats camps twice now. And this, as a family, it was our third spring break on Keats Island. Uh, I had so much fun just walking around with the kids, and they were showing us kind of some of the stuff they did and telling us stories. And of course, Dylan is regaling stories of sneaking out at night and with the the cabin leader, okay, it's all controlled, and, you know, and, and that got me thinking about my camping experiences. In South Africa, it's a little different. You don't really get many sleep camps for small children uh, through churches and through summer. But for teenagers, it's huge. And so every year, I would go to the annual Baptist Youth of South Africa summer camp. Uh, The difference is the summer camp that I went to for teenagers normally had about 1,200 teenagers. Uh, And it was huge. And it was a party. It was amazing. Um, Yes, there were girls, which for some of us guys, that was quite important to get us there. Yes, there were shenanigans. Yes, you know, there were all sorts of things. But there were also some amazing God moments. And that's kind of what got me thinking, even as Dylan and Kristen were telling me some of their summer camp stories, it reminded me of when I was about 16 years old, in the midst of, of the fun at summer camp, in the midst of playing out in the sun, of swimming in the river, of chasing after the girls, of just kind of enjoying being a teenager and enjoying life. In the midst of that, God spoke to me. It's it's funny because I cannot remember who was preaching. And that's a sobering wake-up call for me to remind me that people will often forget who was preaching. And that's okay. I don't remember who was preaching, but I just remember in the evening's message being so aware of God speaking to me. And of God calling me. And of God saying, Brian, I've got more for you. And I've got a plan for your life. And I I want you to serve me. And in the midst of that service, when the the preacher was finished and he kind of said, hey, if you feel like God's spoken to you, why don't you stand up? Let me pray for you. And, And there we go. And I remember standing up. In fact, I could take you to the spot in that hall and I can say, there is where I stood up. And I said, God, if you will use me, I will respond. If you will call me, I will go wherever you send me. Little did I know what that really meant looking back now. But there was a call from God. That call needed a response. Yes, I needed to repent. I needed to admit. I needed to confront some of the sin in my life. And I also needed to be willing to yield to the Holy Spirit and to the prompting of God and to the direction of God. But when I look back, I marvel at what God has done just through that response of obedience. If you're joining with us this morning, we've been going through the book of Luke over the last couple of weeks. And this morning, as we start in Luke chapter 3, we're going to see a call where God called someone and they responded in obedience to that call. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Luke chapter 3 as we meet John the Baptist And this morning's reminder is God calls each of us. And the call on John the Baptist is the illustration for us. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen up behind me as we read along. From Luke chapter 3, verse 1 to 20. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip tetrarch of Iturea, and Trachonitis and Lysanius tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth." And all the people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? the crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. And then some soldiers asked him, And what should we do? He replied, Don't extort money, and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly, and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. I want to very briefly go through the outline and the content of this passage of Scripture that Luke records for us. And when I've done that, then I want to answer, well, what's the contemporary significance? What do we do with this account? What do we do with the life of John the Baptist that Luke records for us here? This account that Luke writes, it starts with a historical context. There's a date. There's a place. Luke puts John in a definite point in history. Luke works from the most distant figure all the way through to the more proximate. And he says it emerges probably in AD 28 or 29. We know that because it's Tiberius' 15th year. And even though Caesar had great power over the known world and all the nations, he used or wielded that power sorry through others who acted on his behalf. And so his rule is felt in Palestine only through those who administered for him. The prefect, Pontius Pilate, and the appointed Jewish ruler, Herod, one of three tetrarchs that we read about from Herod the Great's sons. Interestingly enough, we know Pilate is responsible for keeping the peace and collecting taxes. Herod keeps an eye on the region, giving it that air of Jewish self-government, although that was a little bit of a farce because the Romans ruled over. We also know that the two of them never really saw eye to eye until the arrest and crucifixion of Jesus. And they unite in that. But it's set in a context. And in the midst of this context comes a call from God. Verse 3 and 4, the word of God came to John in the wilderness. The call is simple. God says to John, go and preach repentance. Go and preach repentance from sins and baptize people into that. This is confirmed from a prophecy in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3 and 5 is the quote that we read there. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. And even as we read this we take into account the chapter before and the chapter before that, 1 and 2, where we read of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and we're reminded that they have no child. And so they're crying out, they're praying to God for years and years, clearly through their lifetime almost. And they're praying, and God, why haven't you answered this? Yet God works in his time. He's prophesied about this centuries beforehand. And he takes their situation and their life, and that's where he moves. Even in the midst of human affairs, in his perfect timing. And the, the message, I love this. The message is pretty tough, if you think about it. John starts off, can, I mean, could you imagine if I stood up here this morning and said, You brood of vipers. <laughs> Welcome, brood of vipers. I'm so glad you're here this morning. Well, you snakes. I have to actually say, I had a youth pastor He was this big hulking guy yeah, He played provincial rugby he, Nobody wanted to mess with him because he was big He was intimidating And we as teenagers, especially teenage boys Wouldn't always listen to him And on more than one occasion He would shout at youth He would shout at us Go, settle down you dogs and of course we'd go, hmm But it got us thinking and so John does that. John, John addresses his audience, you vipers. And, and of course, the, the title is supposed to get the audience to confront themselves. Uh, wait a minute. We're children of Abraham. We belong to God. You can't call us that. We have a promise. We have culture. And John says, no, don't they say that. Because God will raise up from these rocks, from these stones, children. Children who belong to him or who are truly his. Just because you think you are children of Abraham does not mean that you are safe from the coming judgment and wrath. And so this message, although it starts tough, is delightfully simple. It really is. John says, repent and prepare. Bear fruit in keeping with your repentance. And if you don't produce fruit, if you don't show fruit by what you're doing, well, then prepare for judgment. It's that simple. And in the midst of this simple comment, this simple sermon that he's preaching to the crowds, they respond by going, well, what must we do to be saved? This reminds me of the rich young ruler who later on comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What was Jesus' response? It was a simple, straightforward, well, obey the Ten Commandments. It's very practical. Do that and you will live. And of course, we know in that situation, the rich young ruler goes, well, I've done all of that. And Jesus goes, well, one thing you lack. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, then come and follow me. Yield to me. It's delightfully simple, yet excruciatingly difficult. And so the crowds ask, what must we do to be saved? I was reminded as I was reading through that and imagining the crowds going, what must we do to be saved? Uh, reading about Charles Spurgeon, man, I wish I could preach like Charles Spurgeon used to preach. There are records and accounts of when Charles would preach, Spurgeon would preach about the fires of hell and repent and turn from sin. People in the audience would cry out in fear and they would literally cling to the pillars in the church for fear of being dragged to hell in the midst of that sermon. Now I know sometimes my preaching might make you feel like you're being dragged to hell, but that's a different (laughs) way. But yet this audience is confronted with this message. And they go, what must we do? What must we do to be saved? And the answer is mundane and practical. Be generous with what you have, whether it's a material belonging, whether it's food, whatever it is. Live generous lives with one another. Don't extort. Don't take what isn't yours. Be content with where you are and what you have. And so, of course, the crowds look at this and they listen to this and they see authority and power in the way John is preaching and the way John is speaking. And so, understandably, they go, well, 400 years, we haven't heard from God. He's been silent. Now there's a prophet. But we also know we've heard shepherds kind of telling some really strange stories about the Messiah being born a little while ago. Maybe this is the Messiah. Could be. He's baptizing. He's calling for repentance. He's preaching with power. He's not afraid to call us to account. Maybe this is the Messiah. And John goes, no, no. I baptize you with water. I'm just a servant of the one who is coming. The one who comes after me, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And of course, that's when we go, yay! Yay!" We can't wait for that. But if he doesn't baptize you with the Holy Spirit... He's the one who's going to judge you. He's the one with the axe at the root of the tree, waiting to cut that tree down that does not produce fruit. And so John receives a call from God. He goes out, he preaches, he responds in obedience to that call. And so God blessed him with riches beyond belief and a mansion, and all the money, and all the food, and all the fine clothing that he could dream of because he was a faithful servant of God. Now, of course, if you know your scriptures, that is not what happened to John. We just read it. John was faithful to his call. He preached. And when even the ruler was sinning and doing the wrong thing, he didn't let the title stop him. He still called him to account and said, what you are doing with your brother's... Wife and marrying her is sin, and so John gets locked up and thrown in prison. Faithful to his call, yet it cost him everything. Now, what we might not notice when we read Luke as opposed to the other gospels, I love the way Luke gives the story of John the Baptist right up front. There's no more John the Baptist other than one time later on in the book of Luke where John starts to ask questions about Jesus. And the reason Luke does this sorry, is to remind us that this gospel is all about Jesus. So we start it off with someone pointing to Jesus and then we get him out the way. And right there, if you're going to fall asleep in my sermon, you can fall asleep after I've made that point. Sometimes our call is simply to point others to Jesus Christ and then move out the way. That's as simple as it is. So what is the contemporary significance of Luke's account of John the Baptist? What do we learn from this? Or what do we do with this? How do we respond? How then shall we live in light of Luke chapter 3 verse 1 to 20? You and I are not John. We haven't been prophesied about. But you and I are like John in that you and I have a call from God. A call to point to Christ. A call to preach. A call to proclaim repentance. You and I are called to go and tell others that Jesus Christ is the way to God. That Jesus offers salvation. So just as I stood up when I was 16 years old and said, God, if you would call me and you would use me, I will go wherever you send me. We each need to respond to that call. I know that some of you have shared those kind of stories with me. And you've said, you know what? I remember when I was at this place at this time and God called. But that's not everyone's story. Some of you, it was a gradual progression as God opened your eyes by the power of His Holy Spirit, as you spent time in His Word, in prayer, and reading. And you got to the point one day where you went, Wait a minute, I have a call. God is sending me to go. But the point remains each one of us is called by God to go. You are called regardless of your age. Regardless of your life stage, regardless of whether you work, whether you're at home, whatever you might do, there is no but to this. So how do we respond to God's call on our lives? There are two points and they're the flip side of the same coin that I want to briefly land on this morning. How do we respond to God's call on our lives? Firstly, it starts with repentance. It begins with repentance. This is Joshua speaking to the nation of Israel. Remember when Joshua says, as for me and my household, we will choose, we will serve the Lord? Part of that message, he says to the nation of Israel, choose for yourselves. Choose life or choose death. But you're going to have to make a choice. And in response, as we choose to respond, it begins with repentance. Certainly a word that the world doesn't want to hear. And sadly, many churches don't want to preach. But responding to God, when, when we hear that message. In fact, when Matthew records John the Baptist, the opening words of John the Baptist are, Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. And then echoes Jesus starting his ministry. Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. If we want to respond to the call of God, it starts with repentance. And even though that word is not really used in the world because the world would rather speak about tolerance, which, by the way, kind of confuses me. We, We talk about tolerance. We talk about valuing tolerance. The problem is our world largely has a faulty understanding of what the word tolerance even means. In our world today, tolerance means that everyone is valued to, has, sorry, let me get my brain together. Everyone is entitled to their own opinion and each opinion is equally valid. That's not tolerance, that's insanity. Because that's saying that Mother Teresa's opinion on the value of life and the value of the lowest caste is the same as Adolf Hitler's opinion on the value of life. And the value of those deemed to be a lower class. It's illogical. Yet that's what the world says. And in fact we've lost the plot so much that we've got to the point now where we say you are entitled to your opinion. Unless your opinion offends my opinion. And if your opinion offends my opinion then you're not entitled to your opinion. And I will get the law to help me change your opinion. This is not tolerance. And so indeed, as the world almost seems to have gone mad, where everyone decides for themselves what's right or wrong, and the measuring stick for a person's morality is what they feel is right or wrong, where they would say no one else has the the right to call that to question. Instead, though, Jesus says our well-being, the state of our soul, rises and falls On repentance. Why? Because Jesus says, I have revealed my word and my will to you. Yes, you can go and do whatever you want. You can choose to live however you want to live. But the way you choose and the choices you make will lead to consequences. If you want health and you want life. And you want a soul that resonates and that connects relationally with me, then obey my word. And until we come face to face with God's word in repentance, there will be no health in our soul. I love how David in Psalms prays. And in Psalm 32, David speaks about repentance. In fact, Psalm 32 verse 3, David says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now David's not talking about the natural process of aging. You know, I know when I say my bones wasted away, some of you might go, well, my bones are wasting away simply because of age. David understands that. But you and I know what it feels like when, when our spiritual condition impacts our psychological condition. And it impacts our mental and emotional and relational condition. And David says, it was like my body wasting away. And until I repented and confessed my sin, there was no hope. But when I did that, when I opened up in front of God and confessed and repented, that's when I felt freedom and release through repentance. There is a pathway to life and a standard for living, and it is found in God's Word. And we will stand before God one day. We can choose our response now, or as John the Baptist said, we can deal with the consequence later. Now the Apostle John, not John the Baptist, the Apostle John, echoes this thought in 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, he says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. How do I respond to the call of God? It begins with repentance. It begins with repentance. But then, secondly, the flip side of the coin, it continues with producing fruit. I start with repentance, and then I go and produce fruit in keeping with that repentance. And I love the promise. The promise of Scripture is that Jesus will pour his Holy Spirit on us, who will enable us and help us to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. James talks about faith versus deeds in James chapter 2, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in James chapter 2, James says, you might claim to have faith, yet you have no deeds. Well, I will show you my faith by my deeds. And James isn't for a moment saying that we can earn salvation by our deeds and by our works. Not at all. James is echoing John the Baptist. James is saying, if you have faith, it should be visible in your life. If you have repented, if you have turned from sin and turned to Christ, there must be evidence in your life. And this is what Paul again echoes in Ephesians chapter 2. Again, not saved by works, but saved for works. Ephesians two, 2, 8 and 9 says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. But the very next verse, verse 10 Paul says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Good works are the visible outworking of what God has done in my heart as I respond in repentance. But back to Luke's account. John warns of judgment from Jesus if there is no evidence of repentance. But here's the principle. Wherever there is judgment, there is mercy from Christ. Wherever there is judgment, there is mercy from Christ. Because Jesus himself says, I will pay that price if you will yield and respond to me. If you cry out for mercy, you will receive mercy and I will pour my spirit on you. Romans 5 verse 5, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Repent and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you and I both know that's not a once-off deal. That's a daily occurrence. To continually walk in repentance of sin, And to continually walk in submission to the Holy Spirit. To what end? To tell the world about Jesus Christ. And to point to the love of God found in Christ. Let me close off this morning. By simply asking you. In the midst of this account of John the Baptist that Luke records for us. Where are you? Where are you? Have you heard the call of God on your life? Maybe you've been using excuses. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too this. I'm too that. My friends, I pray that this morning you would hear the call of God. Maybe you have heard that call, but you've rejected that. And because you rejected it at some point, Satan stands accusing you and going, well, God won't anymore. There is mercy at the cross. And there is still opportunity to respond. Have you repented of sin, turning from your own way to follow Christ? If not, I would encourage you this morning to spend some time in repentance. And then my last question, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you continually relying on the Holy Spirit in your daily life? Are you walking in submission and obedience to the Holy Spirit? He is available to each one of us, and he will lead us. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you allowed in your sovereignty for Luke to investigate the account of Jesus and everything around that gospel story. So much so that Luke understood he needed to go before Jesus to the one who came first, John the Baptist. And I thank you that he chose to record the history of John the Baptist for us. And this simple message that John preached. Repent and be filled and receive the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness in Christ and then enabling in power by Christ. And so God, I pray, come Holy Spirit into our lives and hearts and minds this morning. And do business with us in the place we're at. For those who have never heard your invitation to life and your call, I pray that they would hear that right now. To those who've perhaps rejected it before, God, would you show them your love and your grace and your mercy. That you're still calling them and you haven't forgotten them and you still pursue them. Father, for those who struggle with perhaps a sin or a state of sin or a series of sin or whatever case might be, Father, in that moment, help them to repent, to confess before you, and to receive the freedom that only you can bring. And then, Lord, as we walk in repentance and obedience and humility to your call, you promised that you would send your Holy Spirit to lead, to guide, to walk with us. Help us to yield to your spirit so that as we do that, Lord, we would see your kingdom come and indeed we would impact the world for your sake. For we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.